Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, Hetty Green may have been the biggest miser who ever lived. Her father died when she was 30, leaving her an inheritance of over $100 million in today's money. At the time, it was unusual for a woman to be involved with banking and investments, so she concentrated all her efforts and attention on growing the family fortune. Her focus on money, though, drove a wedge between her husband and their two children, and the family eventually scattered. Known for eating cold oatmeal to save for heating and washing only the hem of her dress to save money on soap, she earned the nickname the Witch of Wall Street. When her son Ned broke his leg as a boy, she tried to take him to a free clinic to get him cared for, and then she tried to treat him at home because she didn't want to spend the money And then he had to have his leg amputated. When she died, Hetty Green was worth the equivalent of some $4 billion. But she was very alone and very miserable. Beloved, you know that we're in a series called Forward in Faith. And one of the reasons we're in this is because that when you die, I don't want you to be miserable and alone because of money. Whether you know it or not, Whether you know it or not, I want you to die a fruitful, faithful, and looking forward kind of life to using the monies that you've had here to get you an eternal reward in heaven. Did you know that what you do with money here impacts your eternity? You know that, right? As I've told you before, Jesus makes a big deal about money. And if you are our guest here today, I want you to know we don't preach about money all the time. We're just in a series. I'm not here to get your money. That's not what we're doing. We're just trying to give people some principles about how to manage their money while we're doing this stewardship emphasis. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus gives us a little less than 40 parables. And out of those 40 parables, one out of every three of them deal with money. That's interesting. Jesus gives money a priority because he knows that Money will be a priority to us. So because it's a priority to Jesus, I unashamedly get to teach on it, although it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) So what I want to do today is I want us to jump into this third message in our series entitled Forward and Faithful Finances. And today we're going to look at the faithful money manager. Our text this morning, which is found in Luke chapter 16, is going to give us three principles about the faithful money managers. So if you have your Bibles, you want to take those out, open those up to Luke chapter 16, 1 through 13 is where we'll be at today. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, hopefully somewhere in the seats under the seats, you'll find a Bible uh, that'll go along with our translation here that we're reading from. And then also it will be on the screen behind you. So out of honor of hearing and reading God's Word, would you stand together as we read from Luke chapter 16? The Bible begins with these words. It says, now he, meaning Jesus, was also saying to the disciples, 
there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much money do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, well, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, and, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and, and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Lord God, I beg you today to teach us what you want us to hear. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. This right here that we have been reading in this parable, it has been called and labeled the most difficult to really interpret of all the parables of Jesus. The reason centers around how can we build a principle for our faith upon someone who was so rotten? I mean, how can we get good teaching out of a bad example? Well, Jesus is the master teacher, so he does a really good job at this, so we're just going to dig in, and what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at the parable, and then we're going to do as Jesus did. We're going to give its application. So right up front, what I want you to see here is that without question, the manager here is unrighteous. He's evil. He's wicked. He's conniving, and he moves from bad to worse. He goes from being irresponsible to being an embezzler. He's wasteful. He's a thief. He's selfish. He's a really bad man. So there's a story about how bad he is, and the owner, to the, to the shock, the, to the disciples hearing, this, this owner praises this really bad man. Well, how can this be? I mean, how is this possible? Well, it's typical rabbinical pattern to move from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if an evil and wicked man can be so shrewd to use the money that he has access to, then how much more should we who follow Christ use our resources for our advantage as well? The Bible begins there in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, and he tells us that Jesus has been talking about this manager, and it's come to this, this, this owner's report that this manager has been squandering his possessions. Well, you notice that the text says he's been talking uh, to his disciples, but up in chapter 15, context would tell you, Jesus has been referring to the Pharisees. 
Jesus picks up again down in chapter 16, verse 14, and he says, now the Pharisees were lovers of money. <laughs> so you got to understand, he's kind of bookending this thing, and he's saying, listen, this is what these people are about, but for you, I have a lesson for you. So there's this rich man, and we know that this man is very rich because he has a manager. This is a big operation because the debts involved are really big debts. Those debts wouldn't come from just simple farmers. I mean, this is a large business. The rich man is doing business with other wealthy business people. The rich man was probably an absentee landowner, and he lived in an estate elsewhere. His agricultural business was somewhere else and under the management now of this steward. This manager, the steward, is taken from a, the Greek word that means really he's a free man and he's not a slave. So he would have had high social status and much responsibility. And for this steward, what happened in that day is he would have been trusted to act on behalf of the owner in every single way. He was the manager and responsible for everything that the owner had, and he had the power to act on behalf of the owner and everything related to that business, period. But Diablo, you're saying, Diablo, what's that? Well, there's a report been made that he's been squandering the owner's possessions. That, that word reported it, in the Greek, it's the, the word that we get the word devil from. It's the word that means to bring charges against, to bring accusations. The noun form of the word is diabolos, which you know means slanderer. It's the very word Jesus uses to describe the devil. The point here is, is that this slanderer, this one has now had accusations brought against him, but they're true. They're legit. This manager has been doing business with people in a very bad way, and word's gotten back to the owner that things aren't right. This manager has been squandering. This means to disperse. Here it means to throw away. In other words, he's just taking what's not his, and he's just kind of throwing it all away. Well, verse 2, the Bible tells us that the rich man acts very, very quickly. Verse 2, he says, hey, what's this I hear? Now, we know that it's secondhand because he says, what's this I hear? So he's been away, but now he hears. Word has gotten back. It's time for you, buddy, to give an account for what you've been doing. And check this out. Before you can even tell me what's happened, you're fired. Well, that's kind of the way you do with people that you don't trust. You don't give them time to take more from you. There's no argument here. There's no debate. This was a, a management job, and because you haven't managed well, you're done. Actually, in the Greek, it says it this way. Give me an accounting, you're done. The manager is in a bind now. So verse 3, he begins to say, well, what can I do? I mean, I'm finished. I don't have a job. I don't have a place to live. I have no money. I don't have a good future because now word's going to get out that I'm a bad manager, and everybody's going to know that I've been stealing and cheating my master, so he wants to continue his, his posh lifestyle, right? He wants to keep living at the way that he's been living. So he says, well, I'm too lazy to dig. I mean, that's what I've got these servants for. I'm definitely too ashamed or too proud to beg. That's not what people with my status do. So then it's like the Bible tells us in verse 4, the Greek tells us it's the same word that kind of means like he had this light bulb go off in his head. He has this great idea. He says, I know. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll do something that'll help me now with these debtors that they'll be indebted to me. So I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll contact all those who owe my master. I'm going to make a deal with them so great that in the end, they end up owing me. 
Now, see, you have to understand a little bit about culture in that day, and, and it's kind of this way here a little bit, but in Jewish culture especially, reciprocation was a big deal. If you did something for me, I had to do something for you. If you scratched my back, I had to scratch your back, and it had to be equal. If you did me a little favor, I'd do you a little favor. If you did me a big favor, I would do a huge favor for you. And so he understands that about the culture. So after wasting his master's resources, he now begins to move to embezzle them. The only person he's now concerned about is himself. So he sets up these meetings with those who are in debt. He goes to the first guy, and there's just two of many that he goes to. And he says, hey, how much do you owe again? Well, 100 measures of oil. To help you understand that, one measure is called a bath, and that's about 875 gallons, which would cost about 1,000 denarii, and 1,000 denarii would, would be over three years' wages. And this dude has 100 measures of those. So this is a large debt. He said, okay, I'll tell you what you do, buddy. You take your bill, take it out, and I want you in your own handwriting, I want you to kind of cross out the 1,000, 100, and now I want you to put down 50. You sign it, and I'll sign it because I'm the manager and I can approve this, and we'll just call it good. Well, you're probably thinking like I'm thinking, how can they do that? Because this guy is still, and that guy he's making the deal with, he's still the manager. He doesn't know that he's been fired, so he thinks he's acting on his master's behalf. And then he goes up to number two, and he's like, hey, well, how much do you owe? Well, I owe 100 measures of wheat. Okay, well, take out your bill and cross out 100 and write down 80. Now, you may not know this, but it would take about 100 acres to produce that, and the value of which would be equal to about eight to 10 years of one man's labor. So again, this is a huge debt, and he's cutting him a huge favor. These guys know nothing, the fact that the manager has been fired. They know nothing of what's going on. So again, he goes from wasting it to now stealing it to now he's even discounting that to make himself look even better. This guy is an evil, evil, evil manager. You can just feel this. And so the disciples are listening to the story, but then in verse eight, it's like, what are you talking about? The master sees this happen and now comes and praises this rascal. How is that possible? What do you mean we're going to praise this kind of behavior? What do you mean that this is what's get elevated? Let's look a little closer because he doesn't praise him for being wasteful. He doesn't praise him for being irresponsible or stealing any of that. He praises him, the Bible says, because he had acted shrewdly. To act shrewdly means to act providently or advantageously. This steward had taken advantage of an opportunity. He'd used the resources in his power to provide for his future. He reduced the debts. And now they're all in debt to him. They're obligated to him. Now he's got options. Here's really the point. A sinful, selfish, conniving man acts on his future benefit in a clever way using the resources at his disposal in such a way that he can secure the future he wants. In other words, Jesus is saying that the sons of men are smarter at preparing for their future than the sons of light are. That's what he's saying. In other words, sinners, those not of the kingdom, those who don't walk in the light, those who don't belong to Christ, are better at dealing with their own people and their future than believers are. Unbelievers are better at taking care of their brief and temporary future than believers are that are preparing for their eternal future. This generation, Jesus says, works hard to guarantee a temporary future. 
So how much more should those who have an eternal future work hard to use their resources to plan and prepare for that? to invest and help people in that. And in the end, receive what? Not just temporary, but eternal rewards. Well, now that the parable is over, Jesus moves directly in verse nine into the application, and so shall we. And from that application, we can gain three principles about this faithful money management that we're supposed to be. The first one is this. A faithful money manager understands the eternal investment of his temporary money. A faithful money manager understands the eternal investment of his temporary money. Verse 9, Jesus says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by the means of wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus talks about here, and he says something that's, that's interesting. He says, by the means of wealth of unrighteousness. This is a word for, the, the Aramaic word for mammon. It, it describes money or possessions or wealth. Jesus calls it unrighteous. Well, how is it unrighteous? It's unrighteous in that it belongs to this, this sinful world. It's unrighteous in that it won't last forever. It will come to an end. It will fail. It's only for here. So what are we going to do, Jesus says, with a future that lasts forever? What Jesus is saying or implying is that money of this world can be used to produce a heavenly reward. Money will not last. It will fail. We cannot take it with us, but we certainly can send the fruit of how we manage it on ahead of us. So Jesus is saying, use your resources, use your money, manage your money to invest in the lives of people so that through your faithful giving, they can hear the gospel and they can go to heaven. And when they get to heaven and when you get to heaven and they see you, they'll say, thank you for investing in my life. The way you invest your money in the world is by investing in, in what's going to be there. The way that you invest your money in heaven is to invest it in people who are going to be there. The only, the only things that I read in my Bible that tells me that are going to last forever are the souls of people in the Word of God. So if that's what's going to last forever, doesn't it make sense that if we're going to invest our money, we invest it in that? We invested in the gospel, and we invested in the word of God. We invested in the souls of people, and we invested in the word of God. You know this. Jesus says, since this is the case, invest it in the kingdom. This is the best investment. The value of an investment is determined primarily by two things, its security and its rate of return. So investing in the gospel and in people who will live forever is the best way to bring the best dividends and to make the best investment. So what I want to just share with you real quickly is this. When you give to First Baptist Church, you're not giving to this church. You're giving through this church. You're giving through this church to impact the kingdom. You're giving through this church and investing in the gospel. Giving to God's work is kind of like investing in a mutual fund. And talk about diversity, right? You, you talk about investing and getting eternal rate of return. When you give to a church like ours, you're investing in children who will come to know Jesus. Did you know that? You're investing in teenagers like we heard about this morning who will give their life to Jesus. You're investing in singles who will give their life to Jesus. 
You're investing in people. When we send people out like we did to the border, or we send people to El Salvador, or we send people to New York, or we send people to Russia, or we have people from Russia to come here. When you invest in that, you're investing in the kingdom. And there's a great return on that investment, amen. What Jesus said in verse 9 is basically this. There are going to be people in heaven when you get there who are going to come up to you that you may have never known on this planet, who are going to thank you because of your investment, that when the offering plate was passed around or when that person running that ministry asked you for a donation, you out of faith said, here you go, and now they're in heaven. And Jesus says, that's what you want is that kind of a welcome committee when you get to heaven. Invest, if we invest our resources here faithfully and wisely, we can make it do two things. It can have an eternal impact and we can gain an eternal reward. I don't know if you read about this, but several years ago, this billionaire, she was pretty famous. Her name was Leona Hemsley. She died, and she left two of her grandchildren completely out of her will. She died a billionaire and left her grandkids completely out of her will, but she left $12 million in a trust fund to trouble. Who is trouble? Her dog. She left $12 million to her dog. Sometimes I'm afraid we too might miss the point. We try to leave it all behind to things that matter just here on earth, but we really should be investing in the people that could be a part of God's family. If men, Jesus said, would only give as much attention to investing in the kingdom as they do investing in their business, things would change. So a faithful money manager understands the eternal investment of his temporary money, but secondly, a faithful money manager understands the eventual inspection of his total management. He understands the eventual inspection of his total management. First, you have to understand that that this word manager is really God. Jesus is really talking about us because we are the managers of God's kingdom, and he's kind of an absentee landowner right now. But just like that, that... that manager was going to give an account. The landowner, Jesus, is going to come back, and we're going to give an account. We're going to give an account for what we've done while he's been away. This manager owned nothing and was put in charge of everything, and that's what we've been teaching. God owns it all, and he gives it to us, and we just give it back. We just oversee it for him. But verse 2, the Bible tells us in this, this parable that Jesus says, hey, what, what is this I hear? Give an account, for you can no longer be manager." In other words, this guy was not looking out for his master's interest, but his own. And when the manager of God's money, you and I, begin to act as if our money is our own and spending it on our own benefit rather than the master's purposes, we are just like this unrighteous manager in this text. And what we have will be taken away from us. That's what the scripture says. As we said over the past several weeks, it all belongs to God. He owns it, and we just oversee it. He possesses it and provides it. We just prevent it, present it back to him. But beloved, can I just remind you that there's coming an inspection. There's coming an account. In verse 10, Jesus said, if you're faithful in the very little things, you're going to be unfaithful in little things. If you're faithful with things, you're going to be faithful with other things. You know that to be true. 
You give your kids a small little task. You say, hey, if you do this, I'll give you five bucks. And they do it, you give them five bucks. If you say, hey, do this, and they don't do it, and then they come back to you and say, hey, well, I wish you'd give me $25 instead of five. I'll, I'll go wash the house. And you're like, you didn't even wash your shoes. How are you going to wash the house? We all know this. Verse 11, Jesus says, if you've not been faithful in the use of even money, who's going to entrust true riches to you? Do, you? do you not see the power of what he just said? Notice Jesus is saying money is a very little thing in the kingdom. There's far more important things. It's called the souls of people. It's called ministry. So a lot of times what Jesus, by way of implication is, and let me just, just help you here, is sometimes the reason God doesn't entrust bigger things with ministry to us is because he can't even trust us with our own budgets. Because we're not being faithful to manage the little that we have in our budget, so why would God give us ministry that pertains to something far more important? That's sobering to me. I mean, I just have to tell you that, that this wrecked my life this week because it's like, God, you really do care more and more about maybe what you would give me more based on how I manage. And, and it just caused me to just go back through my budget and with a, like a microscope. Verse 12, he says, and if you've not been faithful in the youth of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? I mean, we're to use everything God gives us for his glory to advance his kingdom and to reach people with the gospel. So if I haven't been faithful with the things that God has given me, how is he going to give me the true things that really belong to him and to his kingdom? He's saying that when we're inspected, we will forfeit our eternal reward. If we haven't been faithful, we're going to forfeit the things that we could have had. Now, let me tell you something here, friends. I just want to tell you, here's what I know about heaven. Everybody who's put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them from their sin, when we get to heaven, we're all gonna have the same reception. But we're not all gonna have the same reward. Did you know that? We're gonna get the same reception. It's gonna be great. But not everybody's gonna get the same reward. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to have a great reward. That's why I'm telling you now. So you can make a difference with the few days that you have left on this earth to impact the kingdom. Listen to me. Jesus is saying, listen, I know this is going to sting, but I'm just trying to help you, church. Listen to me. Worry more about what your eternal reward is than your temporary retirement. That's what he's saying. A lot of us just kind of want to check out when we retire. And Jesus is saying, no, you never retire from the things of God. You just keep pushing forward. Am I saying that it's wrong to make sure that your retirement is good? No. Praise God. Be a good steward with that. But a lot of people cannot move past that. They can't give to the kingdom because they're too worried about retirement here. A lot of people can't even give their tithe because they're too worried about their retirement. But Jesus is saying, listen, there's something that's bigger. Romans 14, 12 says it this way. But then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, church? Do you not know that you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to give an account? This isn't to scare us, right? This isn't to, like, make us feel guilty. Jesus said, listen, I want to tell you this now so you can get with me and I can bless you. So we're going to give an account. Money is a test. The money is really a test to see if we can handle the true things of the kingdom. If we're faithful in managing the money God gives us for his glory, he will entrust the care of souls to us. A hundred percent, I'm a hundred percent certain that when you die, you will lose every single penny you've ever had on this earth. 
but I'm also 100% certain that you will keep forever every reward that you've laid up in heaven. So where would you want to invest? A faithful money manager understands the eternal investment of his temporary money. He understands the eventual inspection of his total management. But thirdly and lastly, a faithful money manager understands the emphatic impossibility of having two masters. Verse 13, Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word for serve there is the word for bond slave. And, and some of us think this kind of this way about the things of God. Well, I can kind of be halfway in and halfway out. I mean, I can kind of be halfway in on this thing with my money and kind of halfway out with this thing called money. No. Jesus says you're either all in one way or the other. There's an impossibility. It's emphatic. In other words, it's absolutely certain that that is an impossibility when it comes to the things of God. You cannot be about making money and that being your, your thing that you're going to do and be about the kingdom of God. He's going to say you're either going to be about one or you're going to be about the other. You can't serve both. And when he says there to serve, he means the word for this is somebody that has an all-consuming ownership by someone else. In other words, this servant, Jesus says here, is not just somebody who signed up to serve part-time. In other words, this person has been bought by another. All of his rights, all of his money, all of his dreams, everything that pertains to this servant is owned by another. He doesn't call any of the shots anymore. And Jesus is saying, when you come to me and you make me the Lord of your life, I own you. And you got to serve me or you're going to serve money, but you can't do both. So, Jesus is saying, without a doubt, you're either going to love me and hate your money, or you're going to hate your money and love me. And he puts it in that, those, those categories to show us what he's really trying to say. Is Jesus saying we're really like supposed to hate money? No, he's saying you're supposed to hate it in comparison to how you love him. Then when I look at what's the overall consuming passion of my life, People should hands down clearly know that the passion of my life is not money, that it's Jesus. That's what he's saying. A.W. Pink said this, there are two things here, money and God. They're diametrically opposed. One commands you to walk by faith, the other to walk by sight. One to be humble, the other to be proud. One to set your affection on the things above, the other to set them on the things that are on the earth. One to look at the things that are unseen and eternal, the other to look at the things that are seen and temporal. One to have a conversation with others in heaven, the other to cleave to the things of the dust. One to be worried about nothing, the other to be worried about everything. One to be content with everything that I have, the other only increases my desires. One to be ready to give it away, the other says to keep it. One to look at the interests of others, the other says to look at your interests of your own self. One to see the happiness in our God, the other seeks happiness in themselves. So here's really what we could say it if I were to put it in other words. Either God owns you or your money does. There's no middle ground. There's no, no choices. You can't serve God and have one foot in worldly wealth. And here's the climax, and this is important for us to see. Because in verse 14, Jesus says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to these things, and they were scoffing at him. Do you know what that means for me this morning? 
that means if this isn't really your heart, then you're probably scoffing at me right now too because I'm teaching you exactly what Jesus said. It means that, that man, if we don't really receive the word of God like, it, like it's, it's intended and we begin to scoff at it and think that we're just exaggerating these things that really Jesus' point has been proven. I've met people in deep financial trouble because they've borrowed too much. I meet people that are in deep financial tr- trouble because they spend too much. But can I tell you this? And my experience is limited. Be it that. But I've never met anyone in financial trouble who gave to the kingdom too much. Just never seen it. I've never met anybody who had to declare chapter 11 who was obeying chapter 16. It's never seen it. For some, if you are so strapped for money that you can't even afford to tithe, you can't afford to give generously to God's work, for some, it's because you are a slave to money. It's because you love money more than you love God. I know that stings. I'm just, this is what Jesus said, okay? You with me? I'm, just, I'm not making this up. I'm just telling you what he said. I didn't write the mail. I'm just delivering it. Many of us drove up today in our master. Many of us are wearing our master right now. Many of us will go home and live in our master. But Jesus said it can't be that way. The story is told that one day Cardinal Satellite, a high-ranking Roman Catholic official who had tried to coax Geneva back to Rome, he passed through Geneva incognito. He wanted to have a look at the famous Protestant reformer, John Calvin. So he stood in front of the simple house on Cannon Street, and he asked himself, did the famous John Calvin really live in this little bitty house? I mean, even the bishops of Rome in that day lived in mansions surrounded by wealth and servants. Archbishops and cardinals lived in palaces like kings. So Satellite knocks on the door, and he's dumbfounded when John Calvin himself answers his own door. He's dressed in a plain black robe. He says, where are your servants? Here's the most famous man in the whole Protestant church living in a simple house, answering his own door and had no servants. And when Calvin died, Pope Pius IV said of him, the strength of that heretic came from the fact that money was nothing to him. Well, can I tell you that Calvin's not the heretic? That's free. The irony is, I'll leave that there. But may it be said of us all, that money is really nothing to us compared to our love for Christ. Jimmy, would you come? Because a faithful money manager understands the internal investment, his temporary money, the eventual inspection that's coming of his total management and the emphatic impossibility of having two masters. I read this story years ago about a man who was shipwrecked, and I've told you this before, but some of you don't remember. This man, he was shipwrecked on a lonely, deserted island, but to his surprise, he was not alone. <laughs> there was a large tribe of people that shared that island, and to his even greater surprise, he discovered that because they had never seen a man like him before, they decided to make him their king. They built a throne for him and catered to his every desire. 
He didn't really understand what they were doing until he learned as his communication skills increased that they had a tribal custom to choose a king for a year. But when the year was over, they would take the king to another deserted island and just abandon him. But first he went into a deep depression, but then his heart fixed on a very shrewd plan. Over the next several months, he sent members of the tribe to clear out the other island. He had them build him a beautiful house to furnish it and to plant crops. He then sent some of his chosen friends ahead of him to live there so that when his kingship was over, he could meet them. And sure enough, when his year was over, he went to a place that had been carefully prepared with resources that they had given him, and he lived out the rest of his days with his friends. And I'm going to tell you that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. Your time on this earth is going to be done. Money will come to an end. Your life is going to come to an end. Start preparing now for your heavenly home. Start preparing now for the friends that you're going to have in heaven. Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning, would you use what you have not to have more, but to give others the gospel? One of the ways to do that is, is I, I, I'm unapologetically telling you today, is that you can give your resources to forward in faith. Another is to simply just to do this, to find ministries, man, that you believe are getting the gospel to people around the world. It doesn't have to be First Baptist. Really, I guess at the end of the day, the application question simply is this, is am I being faithful with what I have? If you're within the sound of my voice, I want you to know today that I want you to be one of those that welcomes me into heaven. <laughs> I want you to be one of those people that I see when I get to heaven because I'm going to do something for you right now and model for our people what I want them to do for their friends. Well, then I want you to know there's only one way that you can get to heaven. And I want you to know today that the only reason that I get to stand here and do this is because the people in this room faithfully give so that I can do this. But one day you're going to take your last breath and you're going to spend the rest of eternity in one of two places. You're going to spend it in a place called hell or you're going to spend it in a place called heaven. And can I tell you today that it gives God no great pleasure to know that some will turn him away and enter into hell. That's not God's desire. God wants every single person to not perish, but to have eternal life. So really, what is all this? Well, the Bible tells me that, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us have broken God's commands. All of us have not done what we should. We've done things that we shouldn't. All of us have broken God's heart. None of us have kept God's law perfectly. And the Bible says that because of that, the wages of sin, in other words, what we get because we've sinned is death. And that death is eternal, first and foremost. It's a spiritual death of an eternal nature to where you and I can never get to God because of our sin. And then we're going to also die physically. You know that. You see that all around. People die physically. That wasn't God's plan. So because we sin, we're going to die, and we're going to spend that eternity in that place called hell. Hell is the separation of the soul from God and all things that are God. 
But God said, hey, I love you too much to let that be the case. I have sent my son, Jesus, because I love you, because you're a sinner. You can't pay for it, so then who could pay for your sin? What's the rescue? How, how do we get out of this fix? Well, God said, I love you so much that I will send somebody who's perfect, somebody who will never sin, who will keep my law perfectly. I will send them to rescue you. Jesus, my son, I will send them, and he will live a perfect life, do everything that pleases me, and then he will die to pay for your sin because the wages of sin is still death, even for Christ, not because he had sin, but because he became sin for us. And Jesus dies on the cross, and he's buried in a, in a grave, and on the third day, he gets up. Well, how do we know that he was accepted? How do we know that this is the only way? Because 40 days later, Jesus is where? He's with God in heaven. Sinful people who just make it a lie don't end up in heaven. Jesus was raised and taken back into heaven to prove to us that he's the only way. And Jesus, through me this morning and through your friends who've maybe spoken to you, say this to you, they say this to you. If you would just confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that you want to turn from your sin and turn to him, if you would just confess, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to pay for your sin, you can be saved. So we're going to pray. And if you want to be saved today, Justin, myself, and some others will be down here in the front. Just come grab us by the hand and say, today I want to be saved. I want to be paid for. I want to be forgiven. We'll also be down here to receive others of you who may need to be praying about this faithfulness stuff. I don't know. Lots of other things can happen here, but I wonder if you'd stand to your feet right now, and I'm going to pray. Lord God, would you move in a special way in this room right now? Would you do it in Jesus' name? Amen.